We're going to hear now uh, our Bible reading from Acts 17. Uh, Joe Porter is going to bring that in a moment. It's a fantastic passage, a classic example of the way in which St. Paul is sharing what he's been given in Athens. He's going to be showing himself to be a real messenger of the gospel, to use one of the six M's that we've been looking at. So here's Joe to bring us that reading now. Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, that as I walk around and look up carefully at your objects, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the whole world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such, such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of, the, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. So we're going to approach this uh, sermon in two parts. I'm going to first of all look at the way in which God is at work, or God is described as being at work in this passage, but particularly focusing on the text that Joseph's just read. And then Sean is going to come and draw uh, some examples from our interviews and linked in with that passage and apply this teaching to our lives as a church and individuals right now. So first of all, God at work in Athens, here he is. And the four sections that I'm going to just very briefly uh, draw out uh, under these headings. Firstly, 
Paul goes into things heart first. He then works from that into a plan, and the, the word that St. Luke writes is so, therefore. He goes on to use the uh, experience of his feelings <clears throat> to become something that he puts into action. The characteristic of what he says is rooted in the, in the understanding of who the people are before what he says. And then finally, He's only there a short time, so he sows the word and then he goes. He moves on to Corinth. So let's look at those three, four areas in turn. Firstly, heart first. When Paul arrived in Athens, he did a sightseeing tour. Well, it wasn't really a sightseeing tour. He went round uh, many different places and saw the city was... Um, almost like chained up in a way that prevented them from seeing the living God as the one who sets the souls free. We read in verse 16 that he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. This word greatly distressed uh, is a Greek phrase from which we get the word paroxysm. It was for Paul a deeply visceral response. You and I might feel that same thing when you hear somebody using the word Jesus Christ as a exclamation or swear word. It goes right through you. His heart, St. Paul's heart, was outraged. The one and true and only holy God was being abused, displaced, and replaced by the worship of things that never fail to deceive, as Jeremiah puts it, idols. And they ultimately lead to destruction. Paul was churned up inside but he didn't just stay like that. He used and channeled, as it were, that emotional energy into pur purposeful action. Though the next phrase is so, so or therefore, verse 17, he reasoned in their synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace. So here, Paul is being intentional. He has an action plan to bring them the gospel. And he did it in a way that resonated with the people of Athens. He used their learning style. He reasoned with them. And the them referred to here is both the people within the synagogue, that is the, the, the believers, but also those without in the marketplace. So his planning involved being engaged, engaged with both the gathered and the scattered communities. He went to where people were, the incarnational model of evangelism. Thirdly, he focused on who before what. God had given Paul a heart for these people. And he knew if they were not only to hear but also to receive the good news, he had to go to where they were, to enter their world, their culture. And he starts with that. 
St. Paul, in verse 22, says that he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. I wonder what tone he used with this. But he wanted to, as it were, become empathetic to their situation. In every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you, he says. So he considers first who he's speaking to before he thinks of what he is going to say. He shows them that he has taken in where they are and their culture. I see that in every way you're very religious. I walked around and looked carefully. And he recognized and honored one of the gods that they had honored, an unknown God. And he used it as a springboard to be able to proclaim the God that now he had known and he had encountered, and rather who had encountered him. He goes on to describe this God who is unknown to them, but has become knowable to Paul because God has made himself known in the person of Jesus. And Jesus came and revealed himself to him on that road to Damascus. We don't know whether he described from his own experience that whole encounter. Three times Luke describes it in other parts of the book of Acts. But he certainly was able to describe from his experience, his testimony, what he knows about God. And of course, that's so powerful. All testimonies are so powerful because you can't argue with people's experience. And he explains then in practical terms how anyone can come to know this God for themselves. is to repent, to change direction, and come towards the judge of all the world who is not going to uh, condemn them but will welcome them for he is a merciful and redeeming Lord of all. Then finally, after sowing the seed of the gospel, he, he goes, he sows, then goes. In verse 32, we read that when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. He knew, in other words, when to finish. He didn't go on and on, trying to win the argument until they got fed up or annoyed. But he said what's what he needed to say to arouse their interest and to help them to see that there was a God that they could know for themselves. It was a mixed response. Some made fun, a few became believers and followed. But that was the seed of the church in Athens. Luke records in the next chapter that after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He continued on his journey the Spirit was calling him on. He'd seen God at work during that brief stay. But the record of his time there has so much to teach us about how we might be messengers of the gospel 
in our own society now, on our own front lines. And Sean will now draw out some of those key points as they're seen in the lives of our own Christchurch family. Good morning. It always strikes me that we're often very ready to recommend great products that we found to our friends and family. A fantastic place for a family holiday, a new website on how to train your puppy, and I've been very grateful for one of those in the last couple of weeks. If you want a quiet life, do not get a Sprocker Spaniel. We do this because we want to help, because we have a heart for our friends and family. But perhaps sometimes we're less eager to share what we found in Jesus. And it challenged me to hear Eloise saying that when she couldn't meet people in the skate park during that first lockdown, she could still do it on social media. And one of the things uppermost in her mind was to be able to use those opportunities that came naturally to share what or rather who she had found that gives her life meaning and purpose. Paul saw these people in Athens were worshiping things that could never satisfy, and he was greatly distressed. God had given him a heart for that city and those people. He wanted to let them know that their unknown God was known to him and could be known to them. What's been so special about these videos over the last few weeks has been to see people being intentional about living out their faith on their front lines. Rosie, in her interview, talked about engaging her faith when she considered what God was calling her to in her retirement. It wasn't going to be a comfortable retired life, though she'd certainly earned that but she was trying out different things over a period of 12 months to find out which one gave her the best chance to serve God most effectively. Paul went to the synagogue, the place of worship, but he also went to the marketplace. Being part of a thriving, busy church, it's, all, it's easy to spend all our time with those who already know how Jesus can change their lives. We may be involved in really worthwhile groups and projects, but are we going to meet people who are not yet Christians in those places? Eloise spends loads of time with her, what she called her church family. She helps with the youth work. She helps with sparklers, but she knows that's not where she's going to meet people who are not yet Christians. So she intentionally goes to the skate park to have a great time, but to use those opportunities that arise. And she also has her job in a school. Perhaps we need to be asking, where are we meeting those people who are not already knowing Christ? And when opportunities come, we need to know how to use them. I remember when I was um, about 18, there were a lot of programs around about, um, about how to do evangelism most effectively. 
And I remember um, that there was a, a big emphasis on convicting people of sin and, and, and for them to repent and know Christ's forgiveness. And you know what? At 18, I ran a mile from that kind of talk. What it was that I needed was to know God's love, to know God's acceptance. I wanted to see a community of people who cared for one another sacrificially. I needed to know that because of the background that I had. And praise God, the people who were leading me to Christ knew that. We need to be cognizant of the culture, concerns, and commitments of those who we are engaging with, which is why Eloise and I, restrictions permitting after lockdown, will be running a small alpha group specifically for young women. These people face specific challenges and are asking particular questions. We're keen, if we possibly can, not to do it by Zoom because this is going to be about building relationships and building trust. We have a couple more places on that group, so if, if you want to be part of it or you know anyone who might be interested, then do get in touch. And finally, that last section that Joe talked about, sows then goes. Plucking up courage to speak to someone in the first place is one thing, but knowing how much to say that is appropriate and when to stop is also important. And I was struck in both Eloise and Matt Bryden's interviews um, that they had a, a particular strategy, and that was to kind of drop into the conversation about uh, what they'd been doing at church um, or the fact that they'd just been to church at the weekend. And then they kind of just left it to people to take that up and go further with it if they want to. This was really helpful because it was the inquirer that was asking the questions rather than them being told. And they were more likely to feel that the conversation was on their terms and be more relaxed about it. In the chapter following the one that we heard read by Joe, we hear that Paul left Athens soon afterwards. And as Joe said, some people um, who were told, like uh, Dionysius and Damaris, believed. But there were many who didn't. But nonetheless, it was time for Paul to go. And all we can do is to be like Paul, to share what we found. That's all. And then we need to leave it to God to do what only God can do. So let's, uh, let's come to God in prayer. Father, we thank you with all our hearts for the offer of new life <coughs> found in Jesus. We thank you for giving our lives renewed purpose and for transforming the way that we see our daily work, our relationships and our leisure time. Thank you that you're teaching us to see you at work in all these things. Thank you for those who have showed and shared your good news with us. 
Now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live a fruitful life on our front lines, the front lines that you have called us to and placed us in. Lord, through us, would you draw others to know you, stretch out your mighty hand to do great works in the places where we live, work and play, and give us the courage and presence of mind to share you each day through our actions, our stories, and our behaviour. For your glory may it be so. Amen.